Part One, Chapter Twelve of the Daisy Chain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Daisy Chain by Charlotte Mary Young. Part One, Chapter Twelve. It hath do me mochel woe. Yea, hath it? Use, quoth he, this medicine. Every day, this may, or that thou dine. Go lokin in upon the fresh daisy, And though thou be for woe in point to die, That shall full greatly lessen thee of thy pine. Chaucer That night Norman started from, but was not so much sleep, as a trance of oppression and suffering, and beheld his father's face watching him attentively. "'Papa, what's the matter?' said he, starting up. "'Is anyone ill?' "'No, no one. Lie down again,' said Dr. May, possessing himself of a hand with a burning spot in the palm and a throbbing pulse. "'But what made you come here? Have I disturbed anyone? Have I been talking?' only mumbling a little, but you look very uncomfortable. But I'm not ill. What are you feeling my pulse for? said Norman uneasily. To see whether that restless sleep has quickened it. Norman scarcely let his father count for a moment, before he asked, What o'clock is it? A little after twelve. What does make you stay up so late, Papa? I often do when my arm seems likely to keep me awake. Richard has done all I want. "'Pray don't stay here in the cold,' said Norman, with feverish impatience, as he turned upwards the cool side of his pillow. "'Good night.' "'No hurry,' said his father, still watching him. "'There's nothing the matter,' repeated the boy. "'Do you often have such unquiet nights?' "'Oh, it does not signify. Good night,' and he tried to look settled and comfortable. "'Norman,' said his father, in a voice betraying much grief, "'it will not do to go on in this way.' If your mother was here, you would not close yourself against her. Norman interrupted him in a voice strangled with sobs. It is no good saying it. I thought it would only make it worse for you. But that's it. I cannot bear the being without her. Dr. May was glad to see that a gush of tears followed this exclamation as Norman hid his face under the coverings. My poor boy, said he, hardly able to speak, only one can comfort you truly. "'But you must not turn from me. "'You must let me do what I can for you, though it is not the same.' "'I thought it would grieve you more,' said Norman, "'turning his face towards him again. "'What, to find my children, feeling with me, "'and knowing what they have lost? "'Surely not, Norman.' "'And it is of no use,' added Norman, "'hiding his face again. "'No one can comfort—' "'There you are wrong,' said Dr. May, with deep feeling.' There is much comfort in everything, in everybody, in kindness, in all around, if one can only open one's mind to it. But I did not come to keep you awake with such talk. I saw you were not quite well, so I came up to see about you. And now, Norman, you will not refuse to own that something is the matter. I did not know it, said Norman. I really believe I am well if I could get rid of these horrible nights. I either lie awake, tumbling and tossing, or I get all sorts of unbearable dreams. Ah, when I asked Master Harry about you, all the answer I could get was, 
that he was quite used to it and did not mind it at all. As if I asked for his sake. How fast that boy sleeps. He is fit for a midshipman's berth. But do you think there is anything amiss with me? I shall know more about that tomorrow morning. Come to my room as soon as you are up, unless I come to you. Now, I have something to read before I go to bed, and I may as well try if it will put you to sleep. Norman's last sight that night was of the outline of his father's profile, and he was scarcely awake the next morning before Dr. May was there again. Unwilling as he had been to give way, it was a relief to relinquish the struggle to think himself well, and to venture to lounge and dawdle, rest his heavy head, and stretch his inert limbs without fear of remark. His father found him after breakfast lying on the sofa in the drawing-room, with a Greek play by his side, telling Ethel what words to look out. "'At it again!' exclaimed Dr. May. "'Carry it away, Ethel. I will have no Latin or Greek touched these holidays.' "'You know,' said Norman, "'if I don't sap, I shall have no chance of keeping up.' "'You'll keep nowhere if you don't rest.' "'It is only Euripides, and I can't do anything else,' said Norman, languidly. "'Very likely I don't care. "'You have to get well, first of all, and the Greek will take care of itself. "'Go up to Margaret. I put you in her keeping while I am gone to Whitford. "'After that, I dare say Richard will be very glad to have a holiday "'and let you drive to Abedstoke.' "'Norman rose and wearily walked upstairs, "'while his sister lingered to excuse herself.' "'Papa, I did not think Euripides would hurt him. "'He knows it all so well, and he said he could not read anything else.' "'Just so, Ethel. "'Poor fellow, he has not spirits or energy for anything. "'His mind was forced into those classicalities when it wanted rest, "'and now it has not spring enough to turn back again. "'Do you think him so very ill?' "'Not exactly, but there is low fever hanging about him,' and we must look after him well, and I hope we may get him right. I have told Margaret about him. I can't stop any longer now. Norman found the baby in his sister's room, and this was just what suited him. The daisy showed a marked preference for her brothers, and to find her so merry and good with him pleased and flattered him far more than his victory at school. He carried her about, danced her, whistled to her and made her admire her pretty blue eyes in the glass most successfully till nurse carried her off but perhaps he had been sent up rather too soon for as he sat in the great chair by the fire he was teased by the constant coming and going all the petty cares of a large household transacted by margaret orders to butcher and cook harry racing in to ask to take tom to the river tom who was to go when his lesson was done coming perpetually to try to repeat the same unhappy bit of as in prosenti each time in a worse whine how can you bear it margaret said norman as she finally dismissed tom and laid down her account book taking up some delicate fancy work mercy here's another as enter a message about lamp oil in the midst of which mary burst in to beg margaret to get miss winter to let her go to the river with harry and tom no indeed mary i could not think of such a thing you had better go back to your lessons and don't be silly as she looked much disposed to cry no one but a tomboy would dream of it added norman and mary departed disconsolate while margaret gave a sigh of weariness and said as she returned to her work 
There, I believe I have done. I hope I was not cross with poor Mary, but it was rather too much to ask. I can't think how you can help being cross to everyone, said Norman, as he took away the books she had done with. I am afraid I am, said Margaret sadly. It does get trying at times. I should think so. This eternal worrying must be more than any one can bear, always lying there, too. It is only now and then that it grows tiresome, said Margaret. I am too happy to be of some use, and it is too bad to repine, but sometimes a feeling comes of its being always the same, as if a little change would be such a treat. Aren't you very tired of lying in bed? Yes, very, sometimes. I fancy, but it is only fancy, that I could move better if I was up and dressed. It has seemed more so lately, since I have been stronger. When do you think they will let you get up? There's the question. I believe Papa thinks I might be lifted to the sofa now. And, oh, how I long for it! But then Mr. Ward does not approve of my sitting up, even as I am doing now, and wants to keep me flat. Papa thinks that of no use, and likely to hurt my general health, and I believe the end of it will be that he will ask Sir Matthew Fleet's opinion. Is that the man he calls Matt? Yes, you know they went through the university together, and were at Edinburgh and Paris, but they have never met since he set up in London and grew so famous. I believe it would be a great treat to Papa to have him, and it would be a good thing for Papa, too. I don't think his arm is going on right. He does not trust to Mr. Ward's treatment, and I am sure someone else ought to see it. Did you know, Margaret, that he sits up quite late because he cannot sleep for it? Yes, I hear him moving about, but don't tell him so. I would not have him guess for the world that it kept me awake. And does it? Why, if I think he is awake and in pain, I cannot settle myself to sleep. But that is no matter. Having no exercise, of course I don't sleep so much. But I am very anxious about him. He looks so thin, and gets so fagged, and no wonder. Ah, Mr. Everard told me he was quite shocked to see him, and would hardly have known him, and Norman groaned from the bottom of his heart. Well, I shall hope much from Sir Matthew's taking him in hand, said Margaret cheerfully. He will mind him, though he will not, Mr. Ward. I wish the holidays were over, said Norman, with a yawn as expressive as a sigh. That's not civil, on the third day, said Margaret, smiling, when I am so glad to have you look after me, so as to set Flora at liberty. What? "'Can I do you any good?' said Norman, with a shade of his former alacrity. "'To be sure you can, a great deal. Better not come near me otherwise, for I make everyone into a slave. I want my morning reading, now. That book on Advent, there. Shall I read it to you?' "'Thank you, that's nice, and I shall get on with Baby's frock.' Norman read, but ere long took to yawning. Margaret begged for the book, which he willingly resigned, saying, however, that he liked it, only he was stupid. She read on aloud, till she heard a succession of heavy breathings, and saw him fast asleep, and so he continued till waked by his father's coming home. Richard and Ethel were glad of a walk, for Margaret had found them a pleasant errand. Their Coxmoor children could not go home to dinner between service and afternoon school, and Margaret had desired the cook to serve them up some broth in the back kitchen, to which the brother and sister were now to invite them. 
Mary was allowed to take her boots to Rebecca Watts, since Margaret held that goodness had better be profitable, at least at the outset, and Harry and Tom joined the party. Norman, meantime, was driving his father, a holiday preferment highly valued in the days when Dr. May used only to assume the reins, when his spirited horses showed too much consciousness that they had a young hand over them, or when the old hack took a fit of laziness. Now, Norman needed Richard's assurance that the bay was steady, so far was he from being troubled with his ancient desire, that the steed would wear right up on his hind legs. He could neither talk nor listen till he was clear out of town, and found himself master of the animal, and even then the words were few, and chiefly spoken by Dr. May, until after going along about three miles of the turnpike road, he desired Norman to turn down a cross-country lane. "'Where does this lead?' "'Comes out at Abbotstoke, but I have to go to an outlying farm.' "'Papa,' said Norman, after a few minutes, "'I wish you would let me do my Greek.' Is that what you have been pondering all this time? What? May not the bonus Homerus slumber sometimes? It is not Homer, it is Euripides. I do assure you, Papa, it is no trouble, and I get much worse without it. Well, stop here. The road grows so bad that we will walk and let the boy lead the horse to meet us at Woodcott. Norman followed his father down a steep, narrow lane, little better than a stony watercourse, and began to repeat if you would but let me do my work i've got nothing else to do and now they have put me up i should not like not to keep my place very likely but hallo how swell this is said dr may as they came to the bottom of the valley where a stream rushed along colored with a turbid creamy yellow making little whirlpools where it crossed the road and brawling loudly just above where it roared and foamed between two steep banks of rock, crossed by a footbridge of planks, guarded by a handrail of rough poles. The doctor had traversed it, and gone a few paces beyond, when, looking back, he saw Norman very pale, with one foot on the plank, and one hand grasping the rail. He came back and held out his hand, which Norman gladly caught at, but no sooner was the other side attained, then the boy, though he gasped with relief, exclaimed, "'This is too bad. Wait one moment, please, and let me go back.' He tried, but the first touch of the shaking rail and glance at the chasm disconcerted him and his father, seeing his white cheeks and rigid lips, said, "'Stop, Norman, don't try it. You are not fit,' he added, as the boy came to him reluctantly." "'I can't bear to be such a wretch,' said he. "'I never used to be. "'I will not... let me conquer it.' "'And he was turning back, but the doctor took his arm, saying decidedly, "'No, I won't have it done. "'You are only making it worse by putting a force on yourself.' "'But the farther Norman was from the bridge, "'the more displeased he was with himself, "'and more anxious to dare it again. "'There's no bearing it,' he muttered. "'Let me only run back.' I'll overtake you. I must do it if no one looks on. No such thing, said the doctor, holding him fast. If you do, you'll have it all over again at night. That's better than to know I am worse than Tom. I tell you, Norman, it is no such thing. You will recover your tone if you will only do as you are told, 
but your nerves have had a severe shock, and when you force yourself in this way, you only increase the mischief. Nerves, muttered Norman disdainfully. I thought they were only fit for fine ladies. Dr. May smiled. Well, will it content you if I promise that as soon as I see fit, I'll bring you here and let you march over that bridge as often as you like? I suppose I must be contented, but I don't like to feel like a fool. You need not, while the moral determination is sound. But my Greek, Papa. At it again. I declare, Norman, you are the worst patient I ever had. Norman made no answer, and Dr. May presently said, Well, let me hear what you have to say about it. I assure you it is not that I don't want you to get on, but that I see you are in great need of rest. Thank you, Papa. I know you mean it for my good, but I don't think you do know how horrid it is. I have got nothing on earth to do or care for. The schoolwork comes quite easy to me, and I'm sure thinking is worse. And then, Norman spoke vehemently, now they have put me up, it will never do to be beaten, and all the four others ought to be able to do it. I did not want or expect to be ducks, but now I am. You could not bear me not to keep my place, and to miss the Randall scholarship, as I certainly shall, if I do not work these whole holidays. Norman, I know it, said his father kindly. I am very sorry for you, and I know I am asking of you what I could not have done at your age. Indeed, I don't believe I could have done it for you a few months ago. It is my fault that you have been led alone, to have an overstrain and pressure on your mind, when you were not fit for it, and I cannot see any remedy but complete freedom from work. At the same time, if you fret and harass yourself about being surpassed, that is, as you say, much worse for you than Latin and Greek. Perhaps I may be wrong, and study might not do you the harm I think it would. At any rate, it is better than tormenting yourself about next half year, so I will not positively forbid it, but I think you had much better let it alone. I don't want to make it a matter of duty. I only tell you this, that you may set your mind at rest as far as I am concerned. If you do lose your place, I will consider it as my own doing, and not be disappointed. I had rather see you a healthy, vigorous, useful man than a poor, puling, nervous wretch of a scholar, if you were to get all the prizes in the university. Norman made a little murmuring sound of assent, and both were silent for some moments. Then he said, Then you will not be displeased, Papa, if I do read, as long as I feel it does me no harm. I told you I don't mean to make it a matter of obedience. Do as you please. I had rather you read than vex yourself. I am glad of it. Thank you, Papa, said Norman, in a much cheered voice. They had, in the meantime, been mounting a rising ground, clothed with stunted wood, and came out on a white heath, brown with dead bracken. A hollow, traced by the tops of leafless trees, marked the course of the stream that traversed it, and the inequalities of ground becoming more rugged in outlines and grayer in coloring as they receded till they were closed by a dark fir wood beyond which rose in extreme distance the grand mass of welsh mountain heads purpled against the evening sky except where the crowning peaks bore a veil of snow behind the sky was pure gold gradually shading into pale green and then into clear light wintry blue 
while the sun sitting behind two of the loftiest seemed to confound their outlines and blend them in one flood of soft hazy brightness dr may looked at his son and saw his face clear up his brow expand and his lips unclose with admiration yes said the doctor it is very fine is it not i used to bring mamma here now and then for a treat because it put her in mind of her scottish hills well yours are the golden hills of heaven now my maggie he added hardly knowing that he spoke aloud norman's throat swelled as he looked up in his face then cast down his eyes hastily to hide the tears that had gathered on his eyelashes i'll leave you here said dr may i have to go to a farmhouse close by in the hollow behind us there's a girl recovering from a fever i'll not be ten minutes so wait here when he came back norman was still where he had left him gazing earnestly and the tears standing on his cheeks he did not move till his father laid his hand on his shoulder they walked away together without a word and scarcely spoke all the way home dr may went to margaret and talked to her of norman's fine character and intense affection for his mother the determined temper and quietly born grief for which the doctor seemed to have worked himself into a perfect enthusiasm of admiration but lamenting that he could not tell what to do with him study or no study hurt him alike and he dreaded to see health and spirits shattered for ever they tried to devise change of scene but it did not seem possible just at present and margaret besides her fears for norman was much grieved to see this added to her father's troubles at night dr may again went up to see whether norman whom he had moved into margaret's former room were again suffering from fever he found him asleep in a restless attitude as if he had just dropped off and waking almost at the instant of his entrance he exclaimed is it you i thought it was mamma she said it was all ambition then starting and looking round the room and at his father he collected himself and said with a slight smile i didn't know i had been asleep i was awake just now thinking about it papa i'll give it up i'll try to put next half out of my head and not mind if they do pass me that's right my boy said the doctor at least if cheviot and forder do for they ought i only hope anderson won't i can stand anything but that but that is nonsense too you are quite right norman said the doctor and it is a great relief to me that you see the thing so sensibly no i don't see it sensibly at all papa i hate it all the time and i don't know whether i can keep from thinking of it when i have nothing to do but i see it is wrong i thought all ambition and nonsense was gone out of me when i cared so little for the examination but now i see though i did not want to be made first i can't bear not to be first and that's the old story just as she used to tell me to guard against ambition so i'll take my chance and if i should get put down why twas not fair that i should be put up and it is what i ought to be and serves me right into the bargain well that's the best sort of sense your mother's sense said the doctor more affected than he liked to show no wonder she came to you in your dream norman my boy if you had come to such a resolution i was half in hopes you had some such notion when i came upon you on fairview down i think that sky did it said norman in a low voice it made me think of her in a different way and what you said too what did i say i don't remember 
but norman could not repeat the words and only murmured golden hills it was enough i see said the doctor you had dwelt on the blank here not taken home what it is to her i almost sobbed norman i never could before that made me after a long silence and then i know how foolish i was and how she would say it was wrong to make this fuss when you did not like it about my place and that it was not for the sake of my duty but of ambition i knew that but till i went to bed to-night i could not tell whether i could make up my mind so i would say nothing end of part one chapter twelve recording by nancy cochran gergen gilbert arizona